This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Funding for Igeret Hachuva, the Epistle on Repentance, is provided by Isaac, son of Devorah Mindel. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Middle of chapter 7. And he began the chapter. What is the true way and the straight way, the straight path, in order to reach the level of teshuva, the lower level of teshuva? So till now, he explained the genuine path. The genuine path to teshuva is by evoking compassion, being sensitive to your soul, realizing that you have a soul. So by evoking your soul and feeling the pity and compassion for your soul and the predicament of your soul, that's the straight path that a person is able to genuinely change and make a shift because it's something that comes from within you. It's founded on your soul, on the reality of your soul. So when a person sins, you're not conscious of your soul. You ignore your soul. Your soul doesn't go anywhere. Your soul is there. It's present. And it's affected by everything that we do. But when we sin, we don't realize. But then when you realize you have a soul and you feel the mercy and compassion for your soul, it's something stirs inside of you and this will ensure that your change is heartfelt. <coughs> that you're, the turn that you've made You've turned from east to west. You've turned from being externally oriented to internally oriented. That that inner shift is something that's lasting. It's enduring. Because it it touches your soul. Now he's going to explain what's the straight path to get there. What's the quickest route to get there? And how do you get straight to the point? Because what is the source of sin, of rebellion, of being disconnected? What is the ultimate source of it all? Instead of dealing with the symptoms, and of course every rebellion has a different, its own unique expression, but if you want to, you want to like really hit home, really get straight to the core, the essence of the matter, the straight way that gets you right to the point, instead of beating around the bush, which most of us do in life. How do you get straight to the point, straight to the heart of the matter? What is Teshuvah? What, am I trying, what is it all about? Well, what is sin all about? Where does, where does this connection come Ultimately, it comes from one source. It's ego. Arrogance. We're so self-centered, so self-absorbed that we lose sight, we lose touch. All it takes to block out the world is put one finger in front of your eyes. And suddenly the beautiful world is completely closed to you. It's the shutting of the mind. It's the closing of the mind. It's the closing of the heart. And 
you, you shut out everyone else around you. The two are connected. When you're arrogant and you're disconnected to God, you're arrogant disconnected to the people around you as well, to your loved ones. You don't know the meaning of love. You can't truly love another person because you don't truly see another person. Because all you see is yourself. So you're completely blinded to anyone around you, to the beauty within the other person. You're just completely self-centered and self-absorbed. So it all comes from ego. It all comes from arrogance. So what's the straightest path? If you want to change, you want to do teshuva, you want to return, you want to restore this beautiful portrait that you have, you have to get straight to the point. Everything else is just beating around the bush. It's, it's addressing symptoms. The tip of the iceberg, but not the iceberg itself. And you'll end up crashing again. What is the point? How do I get straight to the point? And that is by dealing with this inflated sense of arrogance. A healthy sense of self is very important. A person has to have confidence. But your confidence has to be rooted in something real, something genuine. Not in anything external. If your whole confidence, if your life evolves around I, you know the most common used word in the English language? The telephone company once did a survey. The most commonly used word in all telephone conversations. Guess. I. Everything today is I. iPod, iPad. <laughs> I, I, I. The least used word is us, we. I. That was the, the famous story the rabbi mentioned yesterday also. Someone was very, having a hard time finding a shidduch. Because he was too self-centered, too self-absorbed. So on his next date, after three hours, speaking about himself for three hours, he turns to the date, to the girl, and he says, you know, my therapist tells me that the reason I'm having difficulty finding a date, finding a match, is because I'm too, too self-centered, I'm too focused on myself. Till now, I've been speaking about myself the last three hours. So enough with me speaking about me. So let me ask you, what do you think about me? <laughs> so there's no escaping. There's no escaping the self. And that creates a false persona, an artificial persona. And it's very unsatisfying. The paradox of life is, when do you discover yourself? The moment you forget yourself. When do you breathe? When you let go. Try to hold your breath in. <laughs> That's the end of you. It's when you let go. Then you can breathe. Then you can live. The moment you forget about yourself, that's when you discover yourself. That's why we love children to death. Because children are unselfconscious. Children, there's no ego conscience. There's no self. There's no... And that's why children absorbs massive, absorb massive amounts of information. Children are almost in a, in a trance state. Everything they hear, they absorb and they remember. Even people in older age, they can't remember what happened a minute ago, but they still remember as fresh as yesterday what happened 60 years ago, 70 years ago. Because what, what happens as a child, you experience as a child, stays with you forever. Because as a child, you're unselfconscious. When you're unselfconscious, you listen. You pay attention. And whatever you hear is imprinted so strongly. 
we can always recreate that childlike innocence within us. Things that we truly pay attention to. If we try to recreate that childlike innocence, forget about your ego and truly listen. Most of us wouldn't even know what that's like because most people don't even know what it means to listen. Even people who get paid to listen don't listen. Therapists. They didn't hear a word you said. While you're talking, they're already busy thinking of their clever response. That's, but try to truly listen. It's, it's an exercise. It's a fascinating exercise. Next time someone speaks to you, try to truly listen. And you know how? Try to repeat exactly what they said word for word without adding a word. None of your interpretation and your just almost word for word. Try to repeat what they said. You f- you'll discover how difficult it is. You really have to listen to be able to do that. And most of us never do it. But it's so refreshing. Because when you put your ego on the side and you're so focused on what the other person is saying and nothing else exists but the other person, it's refreshing for you and it's refreshing for the other person. They, they feel heard and listened to, perhaps for the first time in their life. But for yourself, when, when you study something and you really pay attention and you remove any distraction, and you get out of your ego and stop thinking about yourself and stop thinking what you're going to do tomorrow or the day before and what happened, what's happening in your life. Just completely focus and listen. Pay attention to what you're learning. What you learn will be imprinted in your head for the rest of your life. Because that's what happens when your ego is out of the way. That's when you discover yourself. That's the paradox of life. So we have met the enemy and it's us. We are our own worst enemy. We get in our own way. We trip over ourselves. So we create this false persona and we think we're egotistical and we're macho and, we're, and the truth is it's all fluff. It's a cover-up for there's no substance. There's nobody home. And that's the source of all evil. That's the source of all negativity. We become defensive. We become dishonest. We don't allow ourselves to love another person. We don't allow ourselves to be vulnerable to another person. We don't allow ourselves to connect So it's no wonder that when a person, when society blacks out God, they black out another person. You know, we're the most dysfunctional generation in human history when it comes to relationships. Because when you black out Hashem, you black out, you black out another person. It goes hand in hand. You can't truly connect with another person unless you're truly connected with Hashem. You can't truly connect to Hashem unless you truly connect with another person. They go hand in hand. Which is why Hashem gave us, uh, each and every one of us, He gave us the challenge, gave us a little uh, test of truth, a moment of truth, which is the foundation for the whole universe, and for our world and for the whole universe, which is marriage. If you can take care of one person, if you can care about one person and take care of one person, if you can get it right, then that's the sign that your relationship with Hashem is right. If you can't get that right, you can kid yourself, you can delude yourself, but the truth is you have no relationship with Hashem. It goes hand in hand. You can't connect with Hashem unless you connect with another person, and vice versa. It goes goes together. You can't have one without the other. The two commandments, the two set of commandments were equal. There were five and five. Five mitzvah between man and God, and five between man and man. And they two go hand in hand. You can't separate. They're inseparable. Because this is the source of all human misery 
ego. If we didn't suffer from arrogance and ego, we would, we would be so happy. 99% of, of psychologists would be out of business. We would be, this world would be a paradise. We create our own misery. Because we create our own false realities. We become very defensive. We create all these false comfort zones. Which really, it's all about ego. It's all about arrogance. So instead of dealing with the symptom, you know, you can deal with the symptom. I have a problem. I have an attitude problem. I get angry. I have an attitude problem. So I can deal with this symptom. And if I deal with the symptom, tomorrow another symptom shows up. It's when you deal with the root cause, with the ego and the arrogance, then all the symptoms go away. The whole iceberg melts. Then that's your straight path to teshuva, to change, to rehabilitation, to restoring yourself to your true nature, to allowing your true nature to emerge, to allowing your neshama to emerge. You have to get out of the way. So he says the, the straight path the direct path by dealing, by dealing with, the, with the point and the core problem, the core issue is, is to subdue your arrogance. The second element of one's preparation for a true and direct path to repentance is to crush and subdue the klipa and the sitra achim whose entire being is simply grossness and arrogance. There are people who have chutzpah. We live in a generation of chutzpah. It's the American way. But what's interesting about the person with chutzpah is the person who has chutzpah will also be arrogant towards someone who he knows is far superior to him. A truly great person. So you can have a nobody who's truly nobody. Doesn't have an ounce of brain. Has no qualities, no redeeming qualities to speak of. All he has is brashness, arrogance. He's loud and he's chutzpahdik. He knows how to insult, knows how to intimidate. There's no shame. A person with chutzpah will take on even a genius, even a genuine great person, and with arrogance and haughtiness, will make fun of a... How do you deal with a person like that? There's no reasoning with a person like that. Because there's no substance there. It's not that he has an argument, he has, you have one approach, and he thinks there's another approach. He knows that he has nothing to offer. He knows he doesn't even hold a candle to this person. This person is genuinely great. This person is genuinely accomplished, has accomplished something in life. He knows he has accomplished nothing, done nothing, is nothing, is a nobody. But he's a loudmouth, he's arrogant, he's haughty, he knows how to intimidate people. A person who's greater than him, but a person who's gentle, who's refined, a person who's modest. But he has no limitations, no modesty in his chutzpah. How do you put such a person in place? Only by ridicule. You have to laugh at such a person. 
You have, to, you have to, the only way to put him into place is you have to shame him. Because there's nobody home. And there's no substance there. And the moment you start ridiculing him and laughing at him, you put him back into his place. And then he, you know, sit quietly and, you know, leave the room or, who are you? What are you? Well, what are you? What are you doing? And that's, that's what intimidates him because he knows that there's, there's nothing there. There's no substance. So it's a, it's a balloon. It's a bubble. Just like we've had the dot-com bubble and we've had all these bubbles. There are people who go through their entire life living in a bubble. You create a bubble, an artificial bubble. And in the bubble, it's, it's, things are happening, but the truth is, there's nothing there. All it is is a bubble. And all you need is to prick the bubble. You prick the balloon. And the whole thing deflates. So this ego, this arrogance, is not beneficial. There's nothing good about it. It's not like we're destroying something, something positive. You're destroying something destructive. To destroy something destructive is a positive thing. To crush something destructive is very healthy and very wholesome and very positive. When, we're not talking about crushing a person's confidence or crushing a, uh, the, the good things in a person. You're talking about crushing this impossible conceit this inflation of worth, of value that is no reflection of reality. To crush that is very healthy. Because you cannot heal. And you cannot be restored until you come back down to earth. Until you come back, until you come back down to reality. And as long as you're living in this pretense, in this bubble when you have no sense of self, when you have no sense of how gross and how coarse you are, then, then there could be no healing. Usually it's the person who's coarse and gross who has zero sense of how coarse and gross and low he is. Zero. Everyone around him sees it. But he has no, no sense. And he's very proud of it. I'm proud of myself. What are you proud of? You're living like a pig. What, what are you proud of? What's there to be proud of? But the person who's coarse and crass has no sense of that coarseness and crassness. It's only when that bubble is deflated, when that ego is deflated, then it comes back down to earth and down to reality. Earth calling. Then, then there could be a healing. Now you can start building. Because now I'm building on something real, something concrete. Then I can start restoring the person to reality. But when a person has such a distorted sense of self, if you can't get yourself right, how could you get reality? How could you get the world right? We see the world from our lenses. So if you're so distorted about yourself, and you should know yourself better than anything that's out there, because we are ourselves. If we are so wrong and so distorted about our own self, we're clueless about ourselves. Our self-evaluation is so far off target. We don't even begin to measure ourselves. What our strengths are. What our weaknesses are. What our negative points are. We are so completely clueless about ourselves. How is it possible to see the world other than seeing it upside down? How could you heal? How could you do teshuva? How could you restore when you don't even have, you can't even see straight. 
there's a certain sickness, or it's called, where people, the whole world seems to be upside down. Because the way the eye processes, when you see something, really it is upside down, and the eye, so there, there are pilots sometimes who suffer, <laughs> they, that they, they, they see the world upside down. You know, if you can't see straight, if your lens is so distorted, if you have, suffer from this inflated sense of self, this inflated sense of ego and arrogance, then you, it's very dangerous because you're walking down the street and the world is upside down. You're a pilot that's flying, imagine, and you suffer from this, and the world is upside down, you can end up crashing. You can end up crashing instead of flying. So this has to be crushed. This is a healthy thing to crush because this is completely destructive. There's no redeeming factor. There's nothing good. This is not what we talk about. A person should be confident. A person should be cheerful. A person should be joyful. A person should be optimistic. I have to feel good about myself. This, is, this is, has no substance. This has no reality. It's based on nothing. It's arrogance, ego, coarseness, crassness, emptiness. And this is substituted for reality. Yes. You sometimes don't get to reality until you're willing to listen to other people, hear them, and not think you know it all, like the arrogant person. Exactly, exactly. And that, to do that, you have to silence yourself. You have to remove yourself. And it's a process of putting yourself aside. Putting yourself aside for a minute. Forgetting about yourself for a minute. And then you can hear, you can listen, you can create a space, you can hear another person. You can even hear yourself. Because people who don't listen to other people, not they don't listen to other people. The real truth is, they don't even listen to themselves. Because our soul is speaking to us all the time. But we don't hear it. So unless we crush that arrogance, we shut our ears to ourselves. We blind ourselves to ourselves. And we live in a, in a delusional, we create a delusional world. And then comes, it comes crashing down. The bubble just crashes. The last economic crash. Billion dollar companies overnight. Nothing. 50,000 people, 100,000 people with, with mortgages, with families, with homes, with uh, grown-up children to support. And overnight, it was, there was nothing there. It was all gone, finished, in a puff of smoke. How many trillions of dollars disappeared in one day? Tens of trillions of dollars, gone, puff. Half of America lost the value of their home, everything. So it was all a bubble. It was a delusion. What's good about that? If the last 30 years were one big delusion... Is imaginary wealth, and then all of a sudden it just disappeared on us like nothing because it was, there was no foundation, there was no reality. It was just a bubble. So to, to crush that is healthy. To crush delusions is very healthy. We're not doing anyone any favors, and we're not doing ourselves a favor if we, if we live by delusions. We're doing ourselves the biggest favor to crush delusions. Because you know, one moment of reality is worth more than all the delusions in the world. When you're asleep, you can have delusions and delusionary dreams. And, but it's a dream. It's, it's nonsense. It's ridiculous. There's no reality to it. 
One moment of wakefulness, one moment of reality is more precious, is more rewarding than all of these delusions. So when we live, and today we see, the, we see the result, we've created a whole society which is based on ego and arrogance. Power, arrogance, ego, self-gratification, instant gratification, that's all that matters. So we've created a whole foundation, a whole edifice without any foundation. Building castles in the air. You know what they say, the difference between the neurotic and the psychotic. The neurotic builds castles in the air. The psychotic lives in those castles. And the psychiatrist collects the rent. <laughs> that's, that's the world we live in today. Every other person has a psychiatrist or psychologist. And there's no reality. And not only is there no reality, you don't even have the possibility of reality. Your psychologist continues your delusion instead of telling you the truth, instead of confronting you with truth. At least when you have truth, you have the possibility to climb up. You have the possibility to restore the Rembrandt that you are. But if a psychologist tells you, no, it's wonderful, keep on, keep on living your delusions, and he encourages you to live your delusions, he tells you, yes, this is a lifestyle to live. Live like a chazer. Be like a chazer. It's wonderful. I, then the person doesn't even have the possibility to come back home. He's lost the possibility. He's lost his way because he's looking at the world upside down. And his plane is about to crash. He thinks he's flying. And the truth is he's heading right for a crash landing. So this has to be crushed. This, these delusions are dangerous. They're not your friend. And these people who push these delusions with this Madison Avenue hype, and people are slapping you in the back saying, oh, it's a wonderful, wonderful lifestyle. Do as you please. Kill yourself. What do I care as long as it don't bother me? These are not your friends. They're your worst enemies. It's enough to give you the goosebumps. What people call freedom and democracy. This is not freedom. This is, this is so cruel and so hateful. And so the message is, I couldn't care less about you. And just do what you want. And what do I care? And as long as you don't bother me and I don't bother you. And jump off the bridge. Jump off the bridge. Do whatever you want. As long as, long as, as, long as don't disturb me. So you'll live in your delusions, I'll live in my delusions. We've created an artificial bubble. And people get hurt. This is not, there's a price to pay. When we live in artificial bubbles, children get hurt, families get hurt. Children grow up in divorced homes. They, they, people get hurt. Scarred for life. There are consequences. It's not just a financial consequence that the whole system collapsed, the whole bubble collapsed. It's, it's a symptom of a much deeper collapse. It's a total collapse of the whole system, this whole bubble that we've created. Ego, arrogance, without any sense of Hashem. So if you want to restore, you want to get close to Hashem, the first thing they have to crush is this senseless sense of arrogance and ego, self-centeredness, self-absorption, me, myself, and I, no one else exists, nothing else exists. And this is the straightest path, because this gets straight to the crux of the matter. This gets straight to the heart and the soul and the essence of what this is all about. Until you deflate your ego, until you come back down to earth, until you're able to restore and see again, see properly, 
then you can build, then you can start the journey back home. Then you have a reference, then you know what's up and what's down and what's right and what's left. But in your delusional state, down is up and up is down and left is right and right is left and everything is confused and everything is upside down. And you don't even have a frame of reference. You don't even any, know anymore what right is. You don't even know that there is such a thing as right. And there is such a thing as truth. And there is such a thing as goodness. So this is, this is the key. This is the key that unlocks the door and gets us straight through. Straight. Straight path. You're going you to ask something? A lot of oh. people uh, are fooled by others so they don't really understand what's going on. People who were encouraged to buy homes when they didn't really have any finances to do it. And the banks and the mortgage workers told them, oh, it's okay. It'll work out. And they put their few dollars into it and they lost the house. That's true, but it takes two. Listen, we were, everyone, we were all greedy, and <laughs> we, we wanted to believe, and we wanted to buy into it. Uh, so uh, you, the blame is, goes around all around. We're all to blame. I don't think we can just blame one. Yes, uh, all, all the salesmen were a bunch of crooks. The banks were a bunch of crooks. But the people who bought things that they shouldn't have bought was totally beyond their budget, also crooks. But sometimes they couldn't know that it was beyond their budget. In fact, sometimes they couldn't really afford it, but there's a lot of reason for the broker to sell them. They got $10,000, $20,000 out of the listen, listen, we all got caught up in the hype. Uh, everyone was making free money and everyone was becoming a millionaire overnight and everyone was flipping things. And, uh, so, Many were. So the truth, is, the truth is, the so truth is, right. what do you do with the person who, it's also an ego that's in the way. He's willing to believe others right. when instead of having a consciousness to say, I have to understand before I exactly. exactly. We, a salesman can only sell us something that we already, that we deeply want, that we want, that we believe. If we had the discretion, if we had the wisdom and the responsibility, something inside of us would have said, wait a minute, wait a minute. If it sounds too good to be true, it usually is. <laughs> Easy money. I know very wealthy people in this community who did not get caught up in, in the whole, because they, they were modest. They live their lives modestly, and they never lost touch with that. They never lost that touch, that simple touch and that real grounded touch. Never got to their head. Everyone else, you know, we're creating, we're creating castles in the air, and it got to everyone's head, and free money, and you know, for doing nothing. And, and there were always people who say, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand this. It, it, it's weird. It, 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 there's no rhyme. There's no reason. And while everyone else was having a party, and they were being laughed at, you're missing out on the party. You're the fool on the block. And at the end of the day, they were the only ones left laughing and everyone else. So you're, you're right. It's, it's to go around. You know, we all shared in that part of that bubble and we all got carried away. And we all, we all to blame. It's not fear just to blame. We have the salesmen that we deserve. We have the presidents that we deserve. We have the leaders that we deserve. That's the way it goes. <laughs> Let, let's, let's be honest. Yes. Um... How do you connect the uh, klipa and the sitra opera? I mean, it just says in the next paragraph, actually, when he, his, his heart is humbled, his animal soul, which derives from the klipa, is humbled. But what I'm trying to understand is, I mean, are we saying klipa and sitra opera is our, equals arrogance and ego? Yes, I mean, absolutely. It's simple as that. As simple Anytime as that. Anytime I read 
klipa or sifta yes. think it, ego. it's an ego. Ego. Absolutely. That is klipa. Ego. I. Now, I is a shell. It could be healthy. If it's a shell, a shell knows its place. It's a shell, and it's there to protect the fruit. So in order, when a fruit starts growing, in order for the fruit to grow, it needs a, protect, a protective uh, shell. Otherwise, the rain, the sun, would destroy the fruit before it even has a chance to grow. So ego, in the beginning of a person's development, ego is very important. Like a child has to be bribed. A child doesn't learn for the sake of learning. No healthy child loves to learn just for the sake of learning. He loves to learn because his ego tells him, hey, if I learn, I'm going to get prizes, I'm going to get reward, awards. So it's okay to be egotistically motivated. You want to shine, you want to stand out, you want to be praised, you want to, you want to be a good boy, you want to, to have ulterior motives. That's the only way we can develop. We can't develop a fruit without a shell. So then the shell serves a positive purpose. But once the fruit becomes fully ripe, then you have to peel off the ego. You have to peel off the shell. So once the shell has done its purpose, it's like when they send, they send the spaceship to, to outer space. You know, first the spaceship is saddled with all these heavy, heavy fuel rockets. But once you, reach, once you reach outer space, then you can drop it. You don't need it anymore. So it, it's a means to an end. It, then it serves a purpose. A person needs a sense of ego, at least in the beginning, to develop yourself. But then you reach a point where you can grow without ego motivation. You, you, just, you just study for the sake of studying. You just love wisdom for the sake of wisdom. Not because you're going to become famous. or you're not, You don't have to be motivated by ego. A person could be motivated by, by truism. You reach a point where you can be motivated for its own sake. But that's, that's development. So klipa, klipa is a shell, and it's a necessary thing. But then when klipa becomes sitra achra, when that becomes, when you substitute the shell for the fruit, and you throw out the fruit and keep the shell, imagine you munch on the shell and you throw out the fruit, and then you wonder why you have a stomachache, and you wonder why you're getting sick, and you wonder why you don't feel uh, nourished. Because you're eating junk, you're eating the shell. You're not meant to eat the shell, you have to eat the fruit. Instead, you discarded the fruit. You have no time in your life to study Torah, you have no time in your life to do mitzvah, you have no time in your life for the important things in life. And your whole life is focused around the external things in life. That's sitra achra, that's the other side. So when that becomes an end in itself, that's, that's ego and arrogance. And then it becomes a negative force in your life. So that you have to crush. You have to crush that negativity, that inflated, inflated ego and arrogance. This is not a healthy ego. This is an inflated ego and arrogance. A cover-up, usually a cover-up for insecurities. Usually the person who's very arrogant, invariably, it's just a cover-up for insecurities. A person who's very secure doesn't need to be arrogant. You always find that to be true. A person who's genuinely great doesn't need to be arrogant. He doesn't need to impress. Doesn't need to impress. Doesn't need to be arrogant. He's not looking for the honor. He couldn't care less for the honor. Because if he sits quietly in the corner, he's just, he knows who he is and he's satisfied and he's, he's you know, he, he's self-contained and self-nourished because there's something genuine inside. He doesn't have those insecurities. 
A person who has insecurities has to cover it up. It needs constant attention, needs constant adulation, needs, you know, these stars, these celebrities, they need constant adulation, constant, you know, if they don't have that adulation, they're lost. There's nobody home. It's a sign of insecurity, it's a sign of inner emptiness. When all there is is a shell, there's nobody home. So it looks very glamorous on the outside. There's a nice shell, the Madison Avenue hype. But when you peel away the hype, then you find out some of them commit suicide and then their marriages are breaking down and then they're on to the fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh marriage and then you lose count. You know, they, it, it does because it's an empty shell. There's nobody home. It's all glamour and glitz and fame and so money, power, fame. All the money in the world can't buy happiness. <coughs> and all the money in the world can't buy love. And all the money in the world can't buy inner contentment. That's the shell. That comes from within. When a person is connected within, then you have all the confidence in the world. You don't need, you have no inner insecurity, you don't have to cover up with arrogance. You don't have to put down other people. Which people have to constantly put down other people? Only those who are insecure. So it's, it's an inflation, it's a bubble, it's, there's no reality to it. So that has to be crushed. That, that bubble has to be popped. You have to pop that bubble. You have to prick that balloon. Let the hot ear out. And, let it, and reduce it back to size. Pesach. You have to reduce, reduce the bread back to the matzah. It's a real size. No inflation. The bread is full of inflation. You put in one thing and you get another thing. Matzah, whatever you put in is what comes out. You don't need to inflate. <laughs> no, need, no need to show off. No, just, it is what it is. It's genuine. It's so refreshing. It's so holy. It's so special. Matzah, simple, real. So this ego inflation has to be crushed. That's a healthy thing to do. Despite psychology 101. <laughs> okay, continue. The verse states, if you exalt yourself like the ego, this crushing and subjugation absolutely to dust is its death and nullification. Just like the bread of chametz, you have to burn it and you have to reduce it to, du- to, to, to dust, to ashes. This has to be destroyed. This is, don't, have, don't have mercy. This is the merciful thing to do. This is the kind thing to do. You're doing yourself the biggest favor. Because when you reduce it to dust, this is its death and nullification. Mm-hmm. And this is toxic. This inflated ego is toxic. It's toxic to yourself. It's toxic to all your loved ones, to all those around you. How many corporations are riddled with jealousy, hatred, plotting, scheming? People work together for 20 years. I just read that in New York is a very famous restaurant, one of the most famous restaurants here in Manhattan. Two chefs, I think they even related to each other. They've been working together for over 20, 30 years. And they don't talk to each other. They hate each other. <laughs> it's toxic. Imagine working in an environment where you know that this guy is smiling to you but really stabbing you behind the back and is constantly slandering you. And this one pretends to be your friend but really he's scheming. He wants to, he wants to fire you so you can take over your place. I mean, how could you work in such an environment? So much tension and so much... It, it, it's, it, it gets in the way. How could you do business? Who has time to do business when you're constantly worried and anxious looking behind your back and... 
there's no trust. It's like a jungle. It's like a bunch of predators who are ready to swallow each other up and kill each other in a moment and stab each other in the back. That's the world of politics. This destroys any... How can... You, you can't build anything positive in such an environment. It's a toxic cesspool. It's a toxic environment. This is... The healthiest thing to do is completely crush this. Crush it, turn it to dust. It's death and nullification. Only when you nullify this arrogance, then you can introduce something healthy and wholesome and real. You can build something real, something lasting. How do you do this? How do you accomplish this? Death and nullification. Evil is crushed through a broken and contrite heart a sense of personal unworthiness, repugnance, and so forth. As explained in Part 1, Chapter 29, the animal soul, even of a banyan how much more so of a sinner is the very person himself. When his heart is humbled, his animal soul, which derives from Kripa, is of course humbled as well, then crushing and subduing one's arrogance crushes the Kripa as the great Hasidic master of the Yisrael of Ruzhin once said, there's nothing more whole than a broken heart. We know the Jewish people have suffered more than any other nation on earth. What happens is that when a person suffers, it's a crushing experience. But many times, it brings us down. It brings us back to our humanity. We've forgotten what it means to have a genuine feeling. We've forgotten what it means to be genuine and humble and real and down to earth. We've forgotten what it means to connect to another human being. There are families that the members haven't talked talk to each other in decades. There are friends that haven't spoken to each other and they got into some silly fight and 40 years later, they're in an old age home. They don't even remember why they got into a fight. But they know that they're still in a fight and they hate that person. Children don't suffer from it. Children fight. You ever hear children fight? They, I'll never talk to you again. And five minutes later, they're playing again and laughing. And they forgot all about that. Because it all comes from arrogance. But when you're, when you're humbled, when a person has a broken heart, when you have an experience that breaks your heart, it crushes that inflated ego, that inflated sense of self, that inflated arrogance, and it brings you down to earth. That's why people who live through the war together, people who had an, a life-threatening experience together, it, it, it tears down all the artificial barriers to one person and the next, and they feel a kinship, they feel a closeness, a shared experience. Because you can experience your soul again. You remember your humanity. It doesn't matter who you are, how much money you have in your bank, and how famous you are. Oh, that, at the end of the day, what difference does it make? Who cares? No one hugs there at the shake case at the end of their life. Who cares how many billions you have, and who cares how many homes you own, how many times you've written up in Forbes for 100? The only thing that matters at the end of the day is you, your soul. Your person, and the other person is, is also a person. And in moments of truth, when you have a crushing experience, it crushes your shell. 
it penetrates your shell. And then you're able to feel again, you're able to experience, you're able to be a mensch again. You discover your mensch again. So the purpose, this is a healthy thing. To have a broken heart, a contrite heart, and to feel unworthy and repugnant, is actually a very healthy thing. You know, the Jewish people used to pay. I don't think any other people on earth, of all the nations in the world, the Jewish people, the only people that would actually pay what they call a magid. Magid would be someone who went around from city to city, and he would give musa, he would rebuke. We paid someone to give us rebuke. Every corporation pays someone to sing their praises. <laughs> we need a Madison Avenue hype to sing our praises, to, you know. And most com- corporations read their own press releases and start believing their own press releases. And then the, then the company is gone because they, they, they started reading their own press releases. But imagine paying someone to rebuke you. Paying someone to keep you honest. Paying someone to tell you like it is. To break your heart. To point out your weak spots, your vulnerable spots. To bring you down to earth. To keep you grounded. To keep you real. It shouldn't get to your head. How many people who are successful and their success, instead of being a blessing, turns out to be a curse? Because it gets to their head. And they become impossible arrogant, they lose touch with their families, lose touch with their loved ones, suddenly they have no time for their loved ones, then the success is the biggest curse. It's not a blessing. Because it got to their head. They created this, this, this arrogance and this artificial reality that just distances themselves from themselves and from everyone around them. So to crush, to have a broken heart, a contrite heart, and to feel your unworthiness and repugnant is the wonderful thing. You know, sometimes when our, our wives uh, yell at us, maybe they're doing us the biggest favor. <laughs> they're bringing us back down to earth. You know, sometimes we get that. We get, it gets to our heads. You know, the husband can be so successful and the office is all macher and then come home and we put back into place. Remember, you're just a mensch. Relax. You're not God. You're not God's gift to mankind. You're just... And, and remember, just be humble, be grounded, and be for real. And there are very few people. If you look around, those who are wealthy and those who are successful, especially those who are celebrities, very few people, a handful of people, who successfully had normal family lives, raised their children as mentioned, down-to-earth, humble, simple, real people. Versus most, it gets to their head. And they raise monsters. And they themselves become impossible. I mean, I knew someone, I don't want to mention a name, he was like best friends, one of the biggest playwrights. Right here in New York, one of the biggest uh, playwrights in America, was celebrity. They grew up together from kindergarten. And then God blessed him and he became very successful, became very famous. He dropped his friend like a, like a hot potato. They grew up together. They were friends for 25 years. They, they were like, but his friend wasn't, his circles. So he dropped. I mean, what kind of person is that? This is not a real person. This is this success is not a blessing. This success is a curse. This ego has to be crushed. This this is arrogance. This is purely toxic. This is negative. This has to be crushed. And the way to crush it is you have to remind yourself of your unworthiness 
and rep- you have to find it repugnant. You have to find your self-absorption repugnant. Your self-centeredness repugnant. You have to be disgusted. What, ha- what has become of me? Who do I think I am? What, 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 has, what has happened to me? I become so cold and so indifferent and so cruel and so impossible and so better than everyone else and so this, this, you should find it repugnant if you find it repugnant it breaks your heart you break your own heart what have, what have I become what has become of me this is a success story this is a total failure this is a total collapse and the more contrite you feel the more humble you feel then you feel real again you come back home but this is described in the Zohar on the verse, Offerings to God are a broken spirit, i.e. the offering consists of breaking the spirit of the Kilopat and Sitra Akhtara, and this is achieved through a heart broken and contrite. Is this saying that if the person is 40 and if they are arrogant, then he needs to go through this? If the person's a humble thing, you don't want to get him to be more humble. It doesn't do if he doesn't have any drive and you tell him. Oh, no, no. We're not, again, a humble person is not a meek person. Let's not confuse humbleness with meekness. A humble person is a very confident person. Moses was the most humble person that ever lived. Mm-hmm. Moses was a powerful leader, very confident leader. Moses put his enemies into place when he needed to. Korach, he put six feet under. Moses didn't brook any challenge. He knew his authority. He knew who he was. He knew how unique he was. He went to heaven and back three times. Humility and meekness are two separate things. Meekness is a person who suffers from an inferiority complex. Inferiority complex is just as bad as superiority complex. And they both come from the same complex. It's just two different versions of ego and arrogance. One way of being arrogant is by being a superior, suffering from a superiority complex. Another way of being arrogant is making yourself so meek and I'm worse than anyone, there's no one like me. You know? That's also, it's, it's, it's a form of pride, but a sick form of pride. Just like superiority complex is a sick form of pride. It's a very prideful person. That's not a refined, genuine person. Being timid and, and meek. That has nothing to do with humility. Humility is a person who's grounded. Humility is a person who has confidence. It's like the person, but he's not, about, he's not into himself. He, he's not about himself. He's not focused on himself. By the way, the most serious people, it's interesting, the most serious people in the world usually have the best sense of humor. And they're able to laugh at themselves. People who take themselves so seriously are arrogant. It's so impossible. It's so suffocating. It's just, you know, you just have to run because they, they choke you. Nothing, they're so, and they don't have any sense of humor. They take themselves so seriously. A person who doesn't take himself seriously is a person who takes his life very seriously. Life is fun, but it's not a joke. Life is real. But if you have the sense, you, but you forget about yourself. And when you forget about yourself, that's when you discover yourself. That's when you're able to breathe. That's when you're able to live. That's when you're able to flourish. That's when all the talents inside of you emerge and surface. Moses was the most humble person that lived. And he was the most accomplished person that lived most powerful, most accomplished, precisely because he was the most humble. That's when all your leadership qualities come out and all your strengths come out and, and all the beauty inside of you emerge and all its strength. The humble person is really the most confident person. 
It's a confidence that's based on superficial external. A confidence that's based on money, power, fame, and props. That's all external. Once that's taken away from you, you're left with nothing. During the Depression, people were jumping out of the windows. This, uh, this peddler said in the, during the Depression, I lost everything I had. He says, you lost everything? You had nothing. What do you mean? You, lost, you were a peddler. <laughs> all you had was a pedal cart. Yeah, he says, yeah, but when the Wall Street banker jumped out of the window, he jumped right on my <laughs> pedal cart. <laughs> a person whose whole life is props. So the meat man has props too, you're saying, and he relies yes. on... Yes, yes. This hidden idea that he's timid and everything. Exactly. 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 Humility is based on truth and genuineness. But it's not about you. The person who's timid is also self-absorbed. The person who's so painfully shy is also self-absorbed. It's about me. As, as Golden Meir once said, don't be so humble, you're not that great. <laughs> you know? A person who's painfully shy, it's also, it's also, it's also arrogance. Forget about yourself. A person needs help. Stand up and do what needs to be done. But I'm nobody. I'm who am I? What do you mean, who am I? Forget about yourself. Just do what needs to be done. It's also a form of ego and arrogance. But it's deceptive. A person can think, oh, I'm such a timid person, such an egoless person. That's not true. Humility is based on genuineness. Just forget about yourself. And when you forget about yourself, then you can flourish, and then you can grow, and that gives you the confidence. And no one can shake that confidence. That's why the Jewish people, despite all our crushing experiences, nobody on earth experienced even, came even close to what the Jewish people went through. And yet nothing can shake our confidence. We just march on, confidently, and going forward, because it's not about us. Because we have a relationship with Hashem. When life is not about you, when your focus is not on I, your focus where God-centered, not I-centered, Life doesn't evolve around my career and then my bank account and me, myself, and I, and my power and my fame and my ego. It's about Hashem. When you forget about yourself, no one could shake your confidence. You have such a core, such a foundation. Nobody could take it away from you. And, and you can overcome even the most difficult, the most crushing experience. This is our experience. So that's what the Zohar says. Offering and dedication to God the, that's, a that's a mouthful, yeah. The attribute of mercy. As Zohar says, Nachmanides points it out in Leviticus, last week's Torah portion. Throughout the Torah, we always find the name Hashem, Hashem's personal name. Yudke Vavke. The transcendent name when it comes to sacrifices. Either alone, most of the times alone, or sometimes Hashem Elokim but always the name Hashem. Because the name Hashem is a name of mercy. So the animal sacrifice evokes God's mercy. But the animal sacrifice is, could only appease God's mercy, God's kindness, by offering an animal, as Nachmanides describes. That really, the animal is a substitute for you. And the person who's offering the animal has to imagine whatever is being done to the animal really should be done to myself. And God in His mercy and compassion said, I can substitute the animal for me. And He'll take it to heart. And He'll regret. So, so you evoke God's mercy and God's compassion. But God's attribute of, of uh, din, of justice, is not appeased. It's like the prosecutor is not appeased. The lawyer will be appeased. 
you offer an offering, you bring a sacrifice. So that could appease the attribute of mercy, but not the attribute of severity, of strength, of justice, of, of truth, of intensity. However, a contrite heart has the power to even appease the attribute of justice. And we see that. When a person is brokenhearted, a person comes clean, and a person is contrite, you can appease even the attribute, even, even the prosecutor. You can try, try this experiment next time. Next time someone comes and criticizes you. How do we conventionally respond? We become very defensive. Try this experiment next time. And you'll see it works wonders. Never fails. Next time a person comes to accuse you, instead of becoming defensive, out-accuse out him. Do even better than him. Say, it's, there's no excuse for what I've done. It's inexcusable. You're so right, it's, I can't even believe it. And you start explaining why what you've done is inexcusable. Take over his role. <laughs> Become your own accuser. Become your own best prosecutor. With the whole oratorical flourish and bring out how terrible, how egregious, how inexcusable. And you'll see a miracle will happen. Your accuser will become now your defense. Well, okay, it's not that bad. I, it really, what, but it's not, no, you said no. It's absolutely, it's worse. It's no excuse. And the more you accuse yourself, you'll see your former accuser will suddenly reverse roles and says, come on, it's not so bad. Because he sees a contrite heart. That's why a Jew comes to Shul and we become our own accusers. Imagine we're standing on the day of judgment, Yom Kippur, and we spend the whole day saying, I sin. And we spell out the whole olive base. And if that's not enough, each letter, we, we spell out a few sins for each letter. Every sin imaginable. And we accuse ourselves. I sin. Not just the accusing angels are accusing us. We stand before God and we say, no, he's 100% right. We accuse us ourselves. We did this and we did that and we did that. We did things that we, it was almost impossible that we did. But we accuse ourselves of everything. Everything under the sun. We, the entire list. Exhaustive list. You know what happens? When a person has a contrite heart, when you have a broken heart, when you come clean, all is forgiven. You appease even the accuser who's unmerciful and is ready to punish you and stands for justice and justice has to be done. And suddenly his, his whole opposition melts and he's appeased. And he says, okay, let's, let's forgive and let's uh, forgive the sin. So that's what the Zohar is saying. That's the power of a broken heart. When you're saying this, it's like, uh, it's refreshing, you know? In other words, to achieve that level, it's, it's refreshing. There's a, a heavy burden. It's very refreshing. To be honest with ourselves and to be able to take that role, to accuse ourselves and to, and to be honest with ourselves and to, ha and to uh, have a broken heart is very, it, 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 um, it appeases our, that's the difference between a sacrifice. A sacrifice is only, only for an unintentional sin. A sacrifice is only an atonement for an unintentional sin. You can't bring a sacrifice for an intentional sin. But a broken heart, 
And that's why the sacrifice, when you offer an animal, could only appease God's kindness, God's, God's mercy. But when a person has sinned, you've done a sin, an intentional sin, a sacrifice can't achieve atonement. But a broken heart could achieve an atonement, even for a sin, for an intentional sin. Rabbi, I have a problem with this. If you mention a whole list, you go through it during the service. In a sense, are you trying to fool God because you know you didn't do these things, but you want justice from him, you want his, the prosecutor to go away? Good question. They used to say the, um, the difference in the olden days and today. In the good old days, someone was speaking to the, to the youth, and he was telling them, in the good old days, People used to tell the truth in the marketplace. and used to lie in the synagogue. Says today, people lie in the marketplace and tell the truth in the synagogue. So they thought that he was complimenting them until he explained. He says, what I mean is, in the olden days, people were honest. A handshake was a handshake. You didn't need a lawyer to tell you. My word was my, was my honor. When they came to synagogue and they confessed, I sinned, I lied, I stole, I cheated. They were a bunch of liars. Because today, people lie in the marketplace. So when they come to synagogue and they say, they're telling the truth. It's interesting. In the Hebrew, we say, when we confess, we say it in the plural. We don't say, I sinned. We say, we sinned. Because the truth is, Jews are all responsible for each other. So even if this particular sin I did not commit, but I take responsibility for someone in the community who did do this sin. That's A. B, like we're going to learn at the end of the chapter, that every sin, there's the literal sin, but every sin, there's also the, the, the subtle, the subtle sin. You can commit the sin, for example, murder. The rabbis say if you shame someone in public, it's the equivalent of murder, because he causes blood to rush to his face, and he causes him to lose his blood, and in, so, so in a certain sense, you murdered them. Not in the literal sense, but you killed them. You murdered them. You hurted them in a very bad way. So there's a sin. There's, I, I sin, but then there's also the subtle sin. You know, adultery could mean literally, but it also can mean in a subtle way. You know, you're, you're technically present in the marriage, but really you're not. Your mind is elsewhere. You know, there's, there could be a subtle way, and there could be a... It could be I stole, but then it could be a subtle dishonesty. So every sin carries with it many, many, many connotations. And we just list the Hebrew alphabet. So everyone is saying the same thing, but everyone can find within that list, we can all find things that we can genuinely say. This I recognize. You know? So he's saying that's the power. That's what King David is saying. When he talks about his own contriteness after King David's sin. With Batsheva, on his level, was considered a sin. But he talks about his own contriteness, chapter 51 in Psalms, and we recite this every, every evening during the weekdays. So he says over there that a broken heart appeases, for an, even an intentional sin, appeases and reaches God's justice. And God's justice is completely appeased. And your sin is forgiven. That's the power of a contrite heart. Because again, the contrite heart goes straight to the core of the matter, to the heart of the matter. Where does sin come from, ultimately? Why does a person sin? Why is a person motivated to sin? Where does it all come from? It all comes from ego and arrogance. 
I need this, and I deserve this, and I have to have this, and I must have this, and it's all about me, and what I need, and this. There's no sense of reality. Having a broken heart, you come back to earth, down to earth. You come back to reality. You come back to your own reality, to your own true reality. Then you can restore and be restored to your true self. That's the power of a broken heart. So to feel that you're unworthy and you're repugnant is very healthy. If to feel that your arrogance is uncalled for and you've become someone who's unworthy and repugnant and you're disgusted by what you've become, by this false persona that you've created, that's healthy. That's very wholesome. We're going to stop over here. Next time we're going to resume. He's going to answer the question, now how? How do you go about breaking this false spirit? You know, this, it, it sounds like something positive. Your spirit, a spirit. You're spirited. A person who's ego and arrogant is very spirited, is very alive, is very dynamic. But the truth is, it's a negative. It's all negative. It's toxic. It's self-destructive. It's false. It's a bubble. There's no reality to it. So how do you go about breaking this false spirit? There's a genuine spirit. Genuine joy. Genuine spirit. That's holy spirit, a good spirit, a godly spirit. Rooted in reality. And then there's a spirit that's just rooted in nothing. Rooted in ego and arrogance. Nothing. There's, no, there's nothing there. It's just a total bubble. And this is really what the whole holiday of Pesach is all about. It's a holiday of liberation. To liberate yourself from, from the bread, from the arrogance. And to, re, and to restore your true spirit, the matzah, which is your true spirit. This is the foundation. It's amazing. Like the, the word matzah and hummets, the same uh, letters. Exactly. And the same, and the same ingredients. You can go to lessonsintanya.com. Yeah. You have the whole discussion in gems, soon to be on the holidays of uh, chametz and matzah, the way the Hasidus explains it. And this is the spirit, why Pesach is so spirited. And this is the foundation. Pesach is the birth of the Jewish people. It's the, our birth. Because only when you have matzah, that's the underpinning, that's the cornerstone, that's the foundation to build a genuine edifice. You have to have the proper foundation. When the spirit is based on humility and reality, and then... Now you have the proper foundation. Now you can build on it. Then you can build the rest. But you're building on a solid foundation. Otherwise, you're just building on quicksand. And we've seen that today. It's quicksand. There's nothing there. And what are, and what are, what are we leaving our children? This is, this is quicksand. Nothing. No values. Absolutely nothing. Pure emptiness. So to crush this, to crush nothing, is very positive, very healthy. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.